Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. As you can see, I'm at the office still, but this is where I keep my Galaxy's Edge lightsaber that has a you know, blue crystal, which is appropriate for the things that we are going to be discussing this evening. Uh, joining me on tonight's adventure is both Stephen Tallafield and Tom Harper. <sighs> Gentlemen, how are you each doing? Good. Good. <laughs> Hello there. I got my uh, um, <laughs> my celebration T-shirt. Um, nice. Yeah, no, I'm doing good. I uh, I really enjoyed the episode this week. It was very stressful with poor Leia and the evil Sith device. I, I'm sure we'll talk about that. It was very upsetting. This was my favorite episode. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, Thomas, how are you? I'm good. I have a different Ben on my shirt. Uh, oh, nice. so. <laughs> no, I'm good. I, it's hard to believe and a little sad that we're four out of six episodes in and we'll get the fifth in about 48 hours here ish. Uh, it makes me sad, but we've got a lot coming down the pipe. I, um, I'm very interested since this is the first, well, ignoring rumors of a second season, this is the first contained universe story that we've had uh, as a six-part sort of mini event i'm very curious to see how this winds out as compared to something like mandalorian or book of boba fett where there's maybe a longer arc at play so well, that gregor's if that's a good sign for for i'll Greg. allow it yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I saw too that they're doing a. Um, oh, sorry. I was just going to no, say okay. they saw that I saw that they're going to do a cinematic release of all six episodes in select theaters, and so uh, maybe they'll see if they get enough people show up for that. Even after it being on Disney Plus, maybe they'll they consider had, a cinematic. They had better select a theater near me. <laughs> Lodge an official complaint somewhere. Right. Scream into the void. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember which brand it is, but I think I saw the post about it somewhere. I I hadn't heard that, and it's like, shut up, take my money. Yeah, and right. the the other part is McGregor said he wants to do a second season, mm -hmm. so he had been quiet about that, and then all of a sudden, yes, I'd like to do a second season. It's like, because yeah. uh, this, I mean, it's different than Mandalorian, and it's beat Mandalorian in numbers now, oh, which really? is that's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so which that's hard to do. So good for them. And uh, but it highlights we have this, we got Andor, we got Bad Batch. I'm not sure what else comes out in 22. Uh, did I miss anything? Those are the main tent poles. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think the Tales of the Jedi, which is like a shorter form. Okay. Is animated, coming out, yeah. and I think that might be it. I don't know about if there's any plan for. I know there's a plan for Visions sort of series too, but I don't think that's this year. That's probably a 23 project. I'm pretty sure the timeline is 23 on that, which I, I'm absolutely for. It's uh, bringing back the uh, Japanese in, uh, inspiration uh, to Star Wars, and I'm absolutely all for that. So let's let's jump into the uh, legal issues in this bad boy. Uh, so 
just out of the gate, we have Kenobi in a beautiful scene with dueling back the tanks. And he he's basically climbing out, you know, going like, where's Leia? And you can re refuse medical treatment. Not advisable, but you know we, we he's getting his groove back because there's no reluctant Jedi. It's who find somebody else. It's you know where's Leia and he's large and in charge. And uh, Stephen, could you jump in with the right to refuse medical care and we can talk about if, is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean it's um as long as you're competent, as long as you're competent to make your own decisions. If haven't been adjudicated as incompetent or appointed a guardian, you can make your own choices about what medical procedures you um, want to have. It's a constitutionally protected right. Um, however, there are some procedures that um, the state can regulate and can kind of prohibit. The Supreme Court has held in the 90s, sort of in the famous assisted suicide um, cases, of course, that um, that there's no right to assisted suicide. In, or, in other words, um, a state can prohibit that without violating your constitutional rights since that's not a fundamental right. So that regulation is subject only to rational basis. So um, so the Supreme Court has upheld those sorts of limitations. But um, but otherwise, generally, if, if you don't like the, pro the, you know, the treatment, you hear of that happening frequently with people who you know, get a very dire diagnosis and decide that the treatment is going to be worse than than the consequences that you're free to do that. Um, maybe, you know, that's something that you would need to consult the, the, the complexities of the medical decision and sort of your end of life planning, of course. But but of course, Obi-Wan here can certainly say, I've had enough of the back to tank, I'm ready to go. Uh, and no one can force him to, um, to stay in it. This is, oh, go ahead. He can hop back in later. You know, he's just <laughs> so like a, a dunk tank, just sit in the seat and somebody <laughs> pays a quarter and tosses a ball and dunks him back in. I would, this is the, now the second time uh, alongside Book of Boba Fett that we've seen. I don't know if Bacta is inducing these horrendous memories or they just exist and it's just a function of uh, being knocked out cold, but there seems to be some connection about being in Bacta and having a horrendous memory. Vader seems to to dwell uh, when he's in his Bacta tank uh, healing and whatnot. And so I don't know if it's a uh, sort of a side effect of this, but certainly you could understand somebody wanting to to get out of this circumstance. It's, it's interesting here that this sort of the, the, uh, the, the legal operation of this rule because he's clearly not healed. He is seriously injured. And by any standard of medical care, he still needs treatment. And in spite of things that exist in our world, like the Hippocratic Oath and, and the obligation of medical professionals to, to treat and to, to heal something, someone like that, they, they don't get to make the final say in a situation like Obi-Wan's, at least. How long he was in there? Like, was he in there five minutes or was he in there like three hours? And that, I think, is telling for like how much healing's taken place. You know, is this the issue of uh, I'm, I'm good, I can function. And because if we if we wait for me to get to 100 percent, the kid could be dead. So we got to take action now. I can't have a spa day. Mm -hmm. Uh, his his um, shoulders still look like a partially grated piece of cheese. So I can't imagine he's 
he's fully up to a hundred percent, but and Tala certainly didn't seem to think that he was ready to go, but she's yeah, not a doctor. She's not a doctor, but she seems to make a lot of sense. So like yeah. if, if she's saying you need more time, that's a good sign. But the, you got to balance the issue of we got to go save a kid. The galaxy might depend on this. So yeah. uh, give me some Tylenol <laughs> and, and off we go, which raises a whole bunch of issues that, that are kind of spinning out of control here. So let's take, take the first part of this with uh, the duty to go rescue Princess Leia. Every, I believe every Star Wars movie has a rescue scene. The, you know, A New Hope, we're going to go save the princess. Uh, in uh, Empire Strikes Back, it's Luke going to go save his friends and Return of the Jedi. It's everyone going to save Han, arguably <laughs> Luke trying to go save Vader. So, like, again, there's rescue mission on top of rescue mission. And uh, Phantom Menace, there's, like, multiple ones that you could look at for, for what's happening. So... Uh, there's a lot of rescuing people. Kenobi started a rescue. The rescue got interrupted and Leia gets recaptured or captured by others at this point and taken to Nur. Is there a duty to complete the rescue and go get her? And Stephen, do you want to take the first lightsaber swing at this? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that unless his um, her capture was the result of his negligence, um, then that might trigger an obligation to try to mitigate her injuries um, if, if it was caused by that. But I, the um, the sort of willful malice and um, pursuit of Darth Vader seems like a kind of an intervening force here. Um, I'm yeah, not sure that, I'm bit. not sure that, yeah, I'm not sure that <laughs> force, you know, not, uh, not to take liberties with that term, but, um, but yeah, the, um, but it seems like I, even if he was doing his best um, to try to rescue her, it seems like his uh, Darth Vader's um, intent on getting to them is um, probably doesn't um, trigger a duty on Obi-Wan. And, and it's interesting that you raise kind of how many stories are focused on that concept of rescuing someone from danger. It's something that I haven't really thought about, but there certainly is those sort of ethical or maybe moral noble reasons to do that. And, and, and certainly lots of scholars argue in favor of recognizing a legal duty to rescue, but for the most part, American law does not impose a legal duty to rescue people. It's mostly, mostly just a moral obligation. And you can Thomas. see that, no, I was just going to say you can see that sort of tension point here because while we don't see them, think back to to or think over to Alderaan and what Bale and Bray are thinking. They don't un, they don't know the circumstances or what's unfolding. What they do know is that Obi Wan undertook the mission, made a commitment on on you know maybe a moral and informal level to to go uh, do what they were asking, and they're counting on him. He is quite literally their only hope uh, to to rescue their daughter. And you'd be forgiven if you, you you thought under those circumstances, well, they should have some legal record. They, they should have some expectation under the law that he follows through. But I think Stephen recognizes a good point that that it probably is at the heart of why it's tough to, to pin 
that sort of legal responsibility in real life because there are a myriad of circumstances, not the least of which is Darth Vader strolling onto the scene that complicate things that are intervening causes as, as Steven, you, you uh, mentioned that in, in his case, he didn't abandon it so much as make a calculated move to keep her safe. And he just didn't count on her getting split up with Tala and Riva being on the other end of this tunnel network. So uh, it, you can, you can understand the fix that Obi-Wan is in, but at the same time, I think it, it's the, the system has it right in terms of not pinning him down in the real world, at least with the legal duty. I, I agree. And the, the factors of Kenobi decides to go lead off Vader, you know, like he's not doing high noon in the middle of town or midnight. It's I'm going <laughs> to draw Vader out. So everyone else can get away. He's making a sacrifice play. And Talia and Leia, Leia rightly go like, that's crazy talk. You go save him. I, I can get to where I need. I can follow the tunnel. Go save him. Like they, they make a calculated decision as well. And I think that would alleviate Kenobi of any uh, legal duties. On the flip side, as soon as he's conscious, going like, what? Where is she? Oh, oh no, like that, no, we cannot leave her there because there's too much on the line. I don't know if that triggers a legal duty, but he's, I, I believe, making the right decision. Yeah, yeah. and it, it might be also be worth noting that a lot of jurisdictions, I know California does, has, has good Samaritan laws on the books so that kind of shield people who mm -hmm. start a rescue or who do a re who try to effectuate a rescue and shields them from liability as long as they are not like grossly negligent in trying right. to save the person. So, and of course it's sort of, there's exceptions to that. And, but, um, but it, like you're sort of describing uh, Josh and Thomas, that he wasn't really grossly negligent. He made a, you know, he tried to do the best he could in that situation and it didn't work out, but um, it doesn't strike me as that kind of situation. Yeah. As soon as that kid's neck was snapped. Yeah. Um, it's like all bets are <laughs> off that point. Like, this just got ugly. You're on your own, kid. <laughs> he is killing people. He's dragging a woman through the dirt face down with the force. And he wants me. I'm going to be the diversion. Talia, you get Leia to safety. <laughs> Makes sense. And it's it's Leia. Leia is the one telling Talia, go save him. Because she's 10 going on 30. Like, that's... That's who she is, and it's yeah, pretty adorable. Bad. It's very adorable. Well, let's go. Let's go gush over how adorable Leia is here, because normally when somebody plays the, you know, I'm a princess card, uh, or don't you know who my parents are? I am not endeared to them. This is an <laughs> exception. She she's doing all the smart things to go. Oh, oh, you, you, you've done made a really stupid decision in kidnapping me. Do you know who my father is? So normally I wouldn't approve of that because of the Karen factor, but this is the Leia factor and she's right. So again, it's, it's Miranda day for the anniversary of the Miranda opinion. Uh, and there's, this creates a theme here because She's being held. They put little handcuffs on her. She's 
clearly in an interrogation room with guards being told that she has no rights. This is the stuff that's like out of the 1930s horror movies of, of people being treated badly or more in line with Gestapo or KGB captures as well. But there's definitely an American bad cop uh, feel here pre-Miranda uh, that's, that's being depicted. And so first off, Thomas, you want to hit what's the legal authority to, to hold her? And that's bearing in mind that Riva had her kidnapped. So the law here is not looking good on a bunch of levels. Yeah, well, there's no. So whether you're talking within the context of just civilian law enforcement or if you could craft this or consider this some sort of pseudo armed conflict that's that's lingering or existing from the Clone Wars and the Empire considers themselves still in some state of war against the Jedi Order. There's no legal basis under either framework uh, to, to kidnap a civilian as a means to an end. The police can't go. I mean, they can certainly, if they have uh, probable cause, bring in witnesses, uh, you know, and and sort of investigate and and uh, talk to folks. If you're talking about a co-conspirator or something like that, someone who is his. Uh, they believe to have committed a crime, then, you know, perhaps there's a basis for for a lawful arrest there. Um, if you're talking the, the framework of IHL or armed conflict, and it's someone who is a, as a combatant, a member of an armed force or connected to uh, to an armed force like that, then maybe you have a basis for detainment. But this isn't any of those things. This is uh, quite literally the use of Leia from the get-go out of out of the gate in the first episode uh, as a means to an end to draw Kenobi out and to draw him off of Tatooine uh, so that Reva and the rest of the, the Inquisitors or perhaps Darth Vader can uh, find him, capture him, and uh, make him into grated cheese <laughs> and whatever else they have in store for him. So you, th the bottom line is that uh, a, a, a good example would be the police can't come if they're after a murderer and, you know, like just kidnap his wife and his children and, uh, you know, do nefarious things to them as a as a means to get that uh, that alleged murderer to to give himself up and, and surrender. Uh, likewise, on the battlefield, you can't capture a fighters or, or you know, say a, a, a soldier's family and do the same exact uh sort of violence or or unlawful detention on a civilian as a means to an end to to uh effectuate your mission uh, in that setting either so uh i think reva knows exactly what she's doing the interesting thing here and i'm not an expert this is sort of a different twist on it but when she says i'm a princess it, it really echoed the some of the sentiment that she rolled out to vader at the beginning of a new hope i'm not an expert on <clears throat> british law or uh law of the crown but it you know th there is such a thing within uh english law as like crimes against the sovereign you know crimes against the crown so to speak and I, you know it it might make sense that as the as a member of the royal house of organa that there might be something akin to that in the star Wars universe that it's maybe an aggravated type crime or a special type crime 
to, to go after somebody like that. Um, you know, the, the, in British law, I think they, they, it's sort of a, a class of treason, if you will, or, you know, an incredibly serious crime, uh, to, to, uh, go after somebody within the, uh, the Royal family. But in any event, I'm not an expert there, but it just kind of, uh, scratched an itch from a new hope and made me think as well. Stephen, anything to add? That was a great observation. And I, it just struck me too, as we were thinking about it, that that was just kind of a sweet moment that you think of in the context of her previous insecurity about being an Organa in the, in the yeah. first couple of episodes. She's like, kind of like asserting, no, I'm actually a princess. <laughs> like, you can't do this to me, uh, which is very sweet. Uh, and, and kind of, we were talking about Obi-Wan getting his groove back, but I wonder if this is also going to show us that kind of Leah is kind of capturing her confidence as that, that role. She's getting her groove. I mean, like I said, she's, uh, you know, she, she's finding herself, which which gives this series a, a nice parallel with both the characters for both how Kenobi, again, snaps out of his depression and for Leia and going, I'm not an ornament to wave. Like, I actually have agency and I can get things done. And here she's able to throw down and, and has one of the best lines in in all of Star Wars with is this a staring contest? <laughs> you know, like you go girl, like this is clearly you can tell who her biological parents are. It's a very similar to like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's been on multiple podcasts now because of the and, Many others do the mind probe, uh, not in the original. Mm-hmm. Like Vader, either doesn't do it or he can't, and maybe missing limbs is the reason for there's just less of him. And we don't see it until I don't think in any of the animated series until Force Awakens. So they might have just thought of it up at that point in time. So having Rita Reva backdate it. And then, you know, trying it on Leia just doesn't work uh, because of her where mom and dad are. So I throw in also Bale's upbringing. It's just you're not, not breaking through that. those. You're not breaking through those midi chlorians. No, thank nope. you. Although, <laughs> although Darth Vader was able to read Luke's mind in Return of the Jedi and, and re- realize yep. Leia's his sister. Um, so Leia's even stronger than Luke is at 10, <laughs> which is <true>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, well, again, it's a different force user as well. Um, so like that, that's, uh, Vader reading minds might be different than Reva reading minds. So uh, there could be some different uh, factor as well. So overconfidence is her weakness. Yeah, well, definitely. Which brings up the interrogation of a child. So we both have the mind reading, which does not exist in the real world. So tough to crack that one. But we do have laws about a kid being in custody and trying to talk to them. Because kids get Miranda rights, too. Uh, A lot of states have rules for you know, codified uh, for what happens when a child's arrested for a crime. Most involve telling parents in some way, shape, or form. 
California hasn't enacted anything on the book specifically yet. There is you know, a judgment law on the topic. And there was a denial of a petition to the California Supreme Court, meaning that there's a little summary of what the law is, but the ultimate issue didn't get resolved by the court. So the Court of Appeals decision stood. But this was, man, facts are wild. 10-year-old shot and killed his sleeping father. Police come over. Child is in the living room, given Miranda rights. Stepmother's there, so not biological mother, and she doesn't say anything. And the police go out of their way to question the kid in a way that is not scary. And the video shows that they were trying to be as careful as possible with, with a 10-year-old. And when they got to the question of, do you understand the right to remain silent? The child's reaction was, yes, it's the right to be calm. Because the kid had ADHD. And the uh, officer continued, well, it means that you don't have to say anything. So right out, that's a red flag that maybe the kid didn't fully understand mm -hmm. what was being gone over with him well the, the the court doesn't review the case and it's not exactly clear what happened from the court of appeals but as we know that the state can't appeal uh that there had to be something that caused the uh you know, defendant to appeal the case up the rules that we have, at least in California, for a Miranda waiver uh, must be uh, made voluntarily, knowingly, and intelligently. The waiver must be made with a full awareness of both the nature of the right being abandoned, the consequences of the decision to abandon it. And if a juvenile is at issue, there, you have to look at the juvenile's age, experience, education, background, and intelligence and whether they have the capacity to understand the warnings given to them, the nature of their uh, Fifth Amendment rights, and the consequences of waiving those rights. <clears throat> so in the case that where we got this, that's in the blog post I, I wrote about this, I fully understood what was going on. And that's only from, I didn't, watch the video. I haven't read the, the lower court opinion, but instantly it gives red flags. And there were multiple justices who thought that they should have heard the case, including Quaylar, who is a Star Wars fan who's done Comic-Con with us. So, gay team. And, uh, but when you look at Leia, she inherently understands her rights. She's unwilling to talk now, and she can't say, like, I'm not talking to you. I want my lawyer, which in our world would end the questioning and, and a lawyer would have to be brought in. And this story, that involves being put into a torture chamber uh, for being <laughs> unwilling to talk, which is not okay at all.
we don't torture children here. No. Or anyone for that matter. Yeah, we shouldn't. <laughs> anyway. There's no, there's no distinction. Yeah, no. Oh, you're 18. Now you can be waterboarded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. You should blow those candles out. You're done. Uh, oh, that's horrifying. Uh, with that, uh, Stephen, do you want to tag in with any other thoughts on on the interrogation, why it's custodial? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, um, you know, that's the triggering point of or attachment point of Miranda rights when you're in custody and you're being interrogated, uh, the whole custodial interrogation. And we talked a little bit about that last week, I think, when, um, you know, they were being questioned sort of by the stormtroopers on the, in the back of the truck and whether that was a custodial interrogation. And then, um, so, but this is very obviously, as you said, she's in custody. She does not, she's not free to leave. Um, and, she is being interrogated, so she certainly has Miranda rights. And and as you and as we talked about a little bit last week, the Supreme Court in 2011, as you said, like that you have to consider whether a child um, knowingly waived Miranda rights because children don't really understand like their options and they're susceptible to influence by authority figures, especially adults. And so it's it's a lot trickier to get a knowing waiver of Miranda rights. And she's but here, of course, as you said, Leah is absolutely secure in her understanding of what she <laughs> needs or doesn't need to do they're also susceptible as you 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 see that at least the tactic employed here to techniques that that might get you to otherwise uh, or might get you to to self-incriminate uh criminate yourself uh when when otherwise you would have stayed silent or something like that so the the all of these concerns are heightened because of her age and, and Leia's is an exceptional uh, young person. But when we talk about these laws and how they're crafted, we're talking about sort of the average 10 year old, right? Not the exceptional daughter of Anakin and Padme. And for the average child, if they're taken to Nur, like one of the scariest places in the star Wars universe, you're under the ocean, you're in this scary all black room and you're being talked to by an inquisitor of all people. That is much more likely to, to put pressure on you to talk or say things or uh, do things that are legally damaging to yourself than say, you know, talking on the side of the road when you can just walk away or, uh, you know, as, as you're, you're ordering, you know, your ice cream or something like that. So, <clears throat> It's it's that age and, and the law, like like it or not, they, they make distinctions. There are lines in the sand drawn. And in, in, certainly at, at 10 years old, she falls well below that that 18 year old standard. Certainly other states, other jurisdictions will draw the line, multiple lines in the sand. Some states have have specialized rules for kids under 13, kids 10 and under in, in some places get special protection again from stemming from the recognition that the younger you are, uh, the, the height, more heightened the danger is. And uh, to tie this back to my, my opening point, you see Reva use sort of this tactic. She's intimidating. She tries sort of the bad cop way, but then she tries uh, at least maybe half-heartedly this, this good cop approach. Like we're all friends here. We're all on the same side. These people aren't saving you. They're not out to, to help anyone, blah, blah, blah. 
and it, it's almost this this uh, sort of uh, echo of stuff, a, a kind of tactic you see often used by law enforcement in the real world, which is sort of this this friendly cop. Uh, hey, we're we're buddies here. We're all just talking. And for an adult, that can be especially persuasive for a child who, you know, is looking at somebody that they deem to be an authority figure to include a member of the imperial government in this case. Uh, it's especially coercive. And so you, you, we want to have a framework of legal protections that recognizes that and offers protection. It, it highlights why that states across the country require that if a kid's arrested, the parents are informed immediately. And interviews have the parent present. And some, some states require parental approval of Miranda rights to be waived, which I think is a horrible idea. I'm more of the mindset of like, shut up and let your lawyer do their work. And because we have public defenders for a reason, let them defend you. Don't let the state prosecute you. Uh, but we do have Leia understanding Reva and pulling the like, well, I guess we have to call my dad. So that's uh, <laughs> just Daddy's chef's very, kiss. She's just Daddy's perfect. Very proud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless her. So awesome. All right. So she's getting put into the torture chamber at that point in time. And okay. So once again, to go over the rules on torture, uh, and this is the California rule every person with the intent to cause cruel or extreme pain and suffering for the purpose of revenge, extortion, or persuasion, or for any sadistic purpose inflicts great, great bodily injury, uh, as defined uh, upon the person is guilty of torture. person doesn't need to suffer actual pain or have proof of it. Well, they put that kid in the torture chamber. They get really close to starting. And Leia is able to actually call to Kenobi, using the force which i think is a huge thing that not many like star wars podcasts that i've listened to have talked about yet that she used the force to call the kenobi for help does that raise the duty to rescue and thomas do you want to swing up that way first so the the act of her being in a heightened sense of danger beyond just being imprisoned on nur I don't think that triggers an additional uh, I that doesn't trigger uh the duty in and of itself. Um again, if rolling back, he knew that she was in exceptional danger uh as as they split up on the pathway uh before she was taken to Nur. Uh that additional knowledge I don't think triggers the duty necessarily. Adds to the moral weight. <laughs> of the whole situation and the, the urgency of the situation, but not a legal duty. I, so I have a mixed feeling on that because of the torture factor. And so it's not just being held, but the fact she's about to be tortured. And I don't you know. It's worth exploring if that creates any other reason uh, if there's a special relationship between them that would justify a rescue, but it's, I think it's something to think about. Um, 
yeah, yeah, I think that you're right. There, there are situations where there's a special relationship between the mm. the injured and the, the wannabe rescuer. I, although I was looking into it a little bit, at least in California, those tend to be situations where it's like a medical provider, like either a therapist or a, a you know, physician or um, situations where there's like an academic relationship where a school has knowledge of someone who's going to be doing something, they might have a duty to warn or duty to rescue. Um, it's less, and sometimes even businesses, like if they have private security guards, if they know there's like a reasonably foreseeable injury that's going to happen, they might have a duty to intervene to protect people who are on the premises. But but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. Maybe there. I don't, I'm not aware of like a the sort of the degree of the crime or the danger. Sort of at some if there's like some threshold where there is sort mm -hmm. of a duty that's created. But maybe you you could make the argument along. And Josh, I think this is what you were you were getting at ultimately. But I think you could make an argument, a cognizable one, about. Uh, Obi-Wan arguably acting in loco parentis. So in other words, he's stepping into the shoes of Bale and Brea. They've they've asked him and, and sort of delegated that authority. Naturally, they would have known that it's not just the act of rescuing, but get her back and sort of you you have our delegated authority as her parents to to do so. And I think the the interactions with them and sort of uh, what we saw of them um, as just before they got captured, uh, you know, in the back of that that um, trawler or whatever vehicle that was, it seemed like a father daughter relationship. So I think you've got some facts there that you could sink your teeth into. And Breha and uh, and Bale even say like, "What about your duty to her?" <laughs> so they even use that that really significant term, duty. <laughs> so yeah. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, that and then, you know, the kid's adorable. So, like that, that also like helps sell it with like, oh, oh, darn! Like we can't just sit this one out. Got to go. Got to go. Bring her back to her parents. Which then brings us to the house of horrors that we see in the temple, uh, which is it's a tomb, and. You know, all of those Jedi or Force users were in Carbonite. You know, we'd have a you know different discussion of how could they be revived? Could we get them out? These all look like trophies, but there weren't people missing limbs. You know, like there were no clear like you know saber wounds through the heart type of thing, or. Uh, people missing heads and just the parts tossed into the amber. Uh, but definitely looks of terror as they were done away with. Uh, so I, I think there's some good questions there on, uh, do we go back? <laughs> like, yeah. is, it, is there another rescue mission here? Or are we trying to ensure that a burial takes place? But this raises the desecration of a corpse issue. And uh, I ironically have read a lot about dead bodies because of this blog and podcast. You know, I, I'm comfortable being known for, you know, any discovery guy. It's a little weird with like, I know a lot about dead bodies. Um, <laughs> it comes up a lot in genre fiction, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, it's like, especially when it's like, um, you move them from one state to another, and, and that happened in um, 
Sleepy Hollow, where they put a spin on George Washington's body was moved from Virginia, which was stated in his will that it's going to be in Virginia, which is why he's not on the tomb in the U.S. Capitol, but then secretly buried in this Masonic vault chamber in upstate New York, which would directly conflict with his will. Unless there was a codicil there, that was the my theory with that. But again, that involves a whole bunch of you can't just take a dead body from one state to another. And when it comes to desecration of a corpse, first the law is very clear that a corpse isn't a person, it's not property, and that there's a duty to bury the corpse. And that connects to family members and its immediate family members. So merely seeing um, so like if I was gunned down brutally, I know you would both be very sad, uh, but you don't have a desecration of a corpse argument that you could bring a case if my, if my remains were then mishandled because we're just buddies. Uh, now, if you saw it happen with them, like drop me, uh, then there could be. <laughs> so I can't um, imagine such mental anguish. In, I know upon it's, myself. It's, okay. <laughs> it's okay if you need to go hug your wife and cry for a bit. It's okay. Um, yeah, it's just go get a comfort puppy. I understand. <laughs> uh, I'm lovable, but uh, there's so there are limits with this. So when you find that trophy room, if that's what it is, or if they, it's the emperor wanting to be able to do cloning experiments. That, you know, like what are they, why didn't, it's not like the bodies were burned. They kept them around in possibly a usable way that's sort of preserved. It's just different than what we've seen in Mandalorian and any other part of Star Wars. So for a desecration of a corpse, I think you actually need a family members who to bring a claim. Now for the Jedi who are killed, I don't know if that's enough for Kenobi to be able to bring a desecration of a corpse claim because they're all in the Jedi Order together and he's one of the last ones right now and they're just getting slaughtered left and right. So I I think that would be a a much harder argument to make. Did either of you have thoughts you want to add to this? It felt very Jurassic Park like. You mentioned the word mm-hmm. amber, and it felt like the mesquite, they were the mosquito trapped in John Hammond's cane. <laughs> um, I. I don't know if in the last two episodes we're going to get anything on that, but it definitely see. I, I really don't think that they're like display items, like the empire invader are not displaying these Jedi. Like I have the toys behind me. Right. I I think there's something more to it. And that, that opens up a whole can if they're experimenting on these Jedi and attempting to um, unlock secrets uh, using their body. I I think there you, you absolutely get into desecration territory. There's also a religious aspect to it. I mean, many, many religions in our world have very, very, uh, specific burial uh, requirements related to how the body is handled, the timing from death to burial, uh, all of which are are really central tenets in certain religions. 
And when those tenants are violated, what what may seem like sort of a, you know, whatever to, to you know, the average person that's not in that religion can be a really, really big deal uh, for, for those folks and something that's incredibly damaging on a spiritual level. Um, we've seen a couple ways in which Jedi, I, I don't know that there's one way uh, that, that Jedi are necessarily buried other than maybe burned on a pyre. Uh, that seems to be the predominant way or just you disappear into a bunch of like a pile of clothes. But um, I, I would certainly it, it would not surprise me if the Jedi have uh, sort of a uh, a tenet of their religion, so to speak, that's built around how they're treated uh, after death. Um, I also think for somebody like Reva or the other Jedi, you know, former Jedi that are there, it has to be really damaging mentally to have to walk back and forth. This seems to be a corridor that's used. It's not just an out of the way place. And to have to walk by your former colleagues or, you know, a youngling or a Padawan that's uh, suspended and displayed in that state has to be uh, really mentally damaging as well. The experiment issue is a big one because there's, you can't just go dig up a corpse and do experiments on it. That was very, 18th and 19th century uh, body stealing cases, which are, is a kissing cousin of desecration of a corpse, because medical schools needed cadavers. And so that wasn't legal for a long time. So there was a black market of bodies getting dug up and then sold and nefarious things happening in order for science to advance. So doctors could understand how to take, you know, how to do surgery, find, figure out how the human body works. And there, it, it was not pretty. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know, touches on this. There's, there's lots of examples of that from, from genre of why that's a big deal for stealing a body. And if you're going to do experiments on it, there's, like, did the deceased say you could? It's like an organ donor card. Mm -hmm. Because that can include being used by uh, a medical school. And which is, again, important for science to advance so we can understand this is how the digestive system works. I'm going to wager that. a guess that none of those Jedi consented to being suspended in whatever that goo was and messed around with the empire. Yeah. I mean, are they, can they be revived? I think that's a huge question. Or are they dead? And I can't, were they stunned and then placed in the goo? And thus, this is now a form of false imprisonment that we are contending with. Or are they trophies and and deceased? Yeah. But a bunch of them had eyes open. The youngling had his eyes open and looked surprised. Like that's not creepy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it is messed up for beyond anything. And is this some grand scheme by Palpatine for experiments? Yeah. I I don't know. But I do think if it turns into a rescue mission for all of those guys, that would be kind of fun. 
but or are they dead? I yeah. that's worth discussing. Yeah, um, it's not clear what happens to the um, Fortress Inquisitorius quite yet because we see we see it in a couple. Mm-hmm. It's in Fallen Order and here now. Um, wonder if there'll be like some sort of attack on it. Or, you know, yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, so again, a lot to think about there. Any, those were the big issues that jumped out to me uh, this episode. Any. No, I, I wanted to touch at least briefly on Tala and, and getting into the to Nur uh, and Fortress mm-hmm. on to Nur and into to Fortress Inquisitorius. Uh, we've talked in the past in, in some different I think I think back to the episode in Mandalorian when they go to Morak and they're pretend you know, Mando's pretending to be a, an Imperial soldier. Uh, th- that sort of ruse is used all the time and I love it in, in Star Wars. So there's like uh, if we get like a an imperial disguise used in every show out there, I'll be a happy fan. But Tala is an interesting case because she is a commissioned imperial officer. She's not assigned to the fortress here, and she doesn't. Stri- she has a clearance level that arguably allows her access to an area like the one that she gets into but she doesn't have strict access to that place. And so within the world of, of classification, uh, just because you have a top secret clearance, say, doesn't mean you get access to all top secret information out there, right? There's such a thing as compartmentalization of classified information. And if you're not read in or you don't have uh, your, your sort of specialized access to a particular bit of information, it doesn't matter that you have that level of clearance. It's done very intentionally like that so that um, damaging secrets or secrets that could be da- damaging if they got out uh, aren't, if, if you have a leak in one place, it's, it can be contained, right? It's, it's quite literally compartmentalized. And so she uses like pr- probably the most amazing way to get through the, security just the threat that she's a superior officer and uh she'll tell on him to the grand inquisitor and he's that seems to be enough he just waves her through uh so the mere fact that she has that clearance level i I forget what her exact quote is that's not enough to get her through and it's actually a violation uh of federal law and and uh, uh the the ucmj in the case of a military officer to gain access to a classified area not just even classified information, but uh, in the real world, we would have something like a, a secret compartment or a, a, a skiff, a, a classified information facility, sort of a contained room. Uh, you can't bring your cell phone in or other electronics, and and that's where you view and and uh, kind of deal in, in classified information. So it's clear she's entering sort of a skiff type facility. She doesn't have access to that. That's a crime in and of itself getting in there. And then she she uses her one of her code cylinders to access uh, the, the classified system there. That's the access of that classified information uh, and the misuse of it are violations on top of uh, what she did in just accessing the facility. And I think we've seen in the last five, six years, some pretty notable cases of uh, federal employees or contractors being prosecuted uh, for for classified leaks. It's taken really seriously, no matter what your purpose is for the um, 
the breach and it's not a legal defense to say, hey, I was trying to do a good deed or I was trying to to rescue this person or whatever. It might be a uh, extenuating mitigating factor that you can trot out and maybe try to get some sympathy from jurors or whatever, but it doesn't operate as a legal defense. Uh, but so anyways, it, but that was a great, I, I, I really appreciate the moment where she's confronted by an officer who's familiar with those who have access to the area and says like, you're not assigned to this area. And then she immediately beats him up. <laughs> yeah, she's the MVP this episode. <laughs> like, she's a great character, isn't she? She's so clever yeah. and, and she thinks on her feet and always has a good like response. And, but she's also just an assassin. She's a ninja. I love her. She's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I want her to survive and I want to see her in Andor or season two of Kenobi. Mm -hmm. I'm, I would also like them to live happily ever after in the little hut on Tatooine. Like I'm fine with that too, but I don't think we're going to get that, but I would like to, uh, wonderful character who is, uh, great, great with Kenobi. And yeah. their, their relationship is fantastic. So and wouldn't I, it be great if she could have an on-screen reunion with Pedro Pascal and, uh, they could uh, have their Game of Thrones, <laughs> <laughs> hilarious sand, and uh, um, so great. Because he would, the Din Djarin would be around 18 or 19. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, you know, at this time, so it'd be a different yeah, actor, but, yeah. but, uh, I think by the time of, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Uh, best get another actor, but by the time of Din Djarin's time, where we are post Return of the Jedi. She would still be active, barring what would happen in the Galactic Civil War, and just give some gray in the hair, and she's good to go. And uh, so again, there there are a couple ways forward. The uh, other other point with this, the just the lightsaber action in this is some of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, rescuing leia from the torture chamber like with the lights going out it's like oh you're you're toast the Just very attack of the clones reminiscent of the yeah it's like, lights go out one of them goes down in a brilliant fashion and the other guy like causing threats there's no way out the doors are locked it's like you're you're dead dude just for for you there's no yeah. way out <laughs> you should put the blaster down put your hands on your head and just hoping that you live. <laughs> it was it, it it harkened back if you've played fallen order and if you haven't you really should pick it up but throughout the game you'll encounter stormtroopers and, and other imperial troops and then just the average stormtroopers have hilarious dialogue at some point because they get really they either get really excited that they're finally seeing a jedi or they get really scared because they you're sort of this mystical creature to them. And there was a little bit of that where he's like trying to play off his fear. He's like shaking his, we you know, his weapon everywhere and sort of knows what's coming. But yeah, it made me, it made me harken back to the video game. Well, and then the reunion, like, okay, they don't hug, but the, the she's like, you told, they told me you were dead. It's like, well, they were lying. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, you know, the hallway fight that we get, and I don't know if that's just going to be a recurring motif, but he's dealing with threats from both directions mm -hmm. and you know, doing great lightsaber spins 
telling Leia to hide in an open hallway, it's like, okay, duck and cover. <laughs> like, how do I, mm -hmm. how do I do this? But I really, I, the fact that he holds the water back as the glass is shattering and then directs it uh, as they breach the yeah. door. And, you know, Talia's screaming, run, and, you know, getting through and the door's closing. With the corpses floating, you can see fish. <laughs> that's, that's attention to detail. That's brilliant filmmaking and uh, just so much fun. That's also how, isn't that how Cal kind of gets away from that spoiler alert, I guess, for Fallen Order, but um, that's how he kind of gets away from Darth Vader at the end. Yeah. He blows open a hallway and kind of drowns Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. It is so... Uh, the fight on the hangar uh, also, I, I mean, again, I'm having a loving memory of seeing Empire Strikes Back in the theater getting to see the T-47s in action and see that they have a hover mode. So they're, yeah. you know, they're the speeders, the return of the speeders is so great. I know Thomas is, Thomas has the Y wings, but I think the speeders are kind of my sentimental favorites. I love seeing those again. So great. Yeah. Oh, they're great. I had, Lots of love. I, I had one of those for you know Christmas, 1980 mm -hmm. and Our just, the way they would light up and it was just so much fun and you know, back. <laughs> it's, it's like god bless them for doing that uh i mean sure it has a rough landing uh because again they're used to hauling sewage with it so it's not you know she's not used to combat ops uh but the look on the pilot's face with reva coming up so good uh the uh, that going, looking at, uh, is that just made for atmospheric flight? I think that's an interesting question because it doesn't look like it's designed for space flight. Yeah. So that could be a factor with those craft. Uh, the, the end, it's not like there's a party. They lost a guy and mm -hmm. they're sad and quiet. And they're just taking Ben's hand. Perfect. So good. And for next mm -hmm. time, we'll have a little tortious interference with chattels issue, uh, assuming Lola is a chattel. But yeah, <laughs> I I hope they check. <laughs> like you know you. Yeah. I don't remember her lighting up like that weirdly and menacingly. <laughs> and making that evil little sound. Yeah. The update. Why is it red now? Yeah. Uh, so Lola, that, I, I pre-ordered one. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> I mean, that Hasbro panel was really good. And when they announced it for pre-orders, like, that should be on my bookshelf. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not married. I don't have kids. I can get this. <laughs> you think kids stop anything? <laughs> I'm sure you think about no it. Com it no be. comment. I don't have to self-incriminate past this point. <laughs> it has to be high up. So, <laughs> uh, anything you guys want to add from this? 
No, I think uh, other than everything that Obi-Wan did was a trespass to property. He didn't listen to Tiny Vita, but that's pretty (laughs) obvious. But yeah, it was a fun episode um, and really exciting to have that sort of uh, jailbreak type uh, plot. It was really fun. um, I'm really looking forward to the resolution. I mean, I think this is... In Solo, did we see Imperials with trench coats? Hmm. I feel like maybe... Some of the officers... Yeah, some of the officers maybe. Nobody hiding under them though. <laughs> so great. Which I, I know there's discourse capital D about that today, but um, but I it just reminded me of BB-8 putting a trash can on his head. And yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. It's just like so, so hapless. It, it it goes back to Shawshank Redemption. That like, how often do you look at a guy's shoes? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was like, stay close because you're tiny, and they're all busy. Because everyone's freaked out, so just walk with purpose and don't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I didn't have a problem with it. It's like, no, that's what they got to do because those helmets—they have poor vision. <laughs> They're going to be consumed with with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So let's let's make a break for it. And uh, uh, I enjoyed seeing purge troopers. I admit, I had to go look that up. Oh right, yeah. Looks like a spe- like a special version of them. We didn't get a close look, but yeah, pretty menacing. Yeah, because I was like, "Is it a Death Trooper? Like, what what are these guys?" They're not and fun then... to fight in the Fallen Order game. No, there's some, there's a couple bosses that are for for troopers, right? Oh, maybe yeah. like a sheik or something is one that kind of screwed me up a couple times. Uh, good, good, clean fun. I, uh, yeah, I, this is this has been a exceptional series it's made it's made for weird weeks because i'm not used to having star wars star trek marvel all time yeah and so restarted which if you haven't seen that check it out it latest episode begins in the alternate 1980 excuse me 1992 and there's hotel space stations in orbit. You have, uh, you know, Reagan's presidency was elected in 76 and 1980. President for, uh, from that followed Reagan was Gary Hart mm-hmm. with Vice President Gore. And Gore loses the Democratic nomination to Governor Clinton. And it's setting it up for it's Clinton versus one of the astronauts who's the main character. Mm-hmm. So the... So they're setting up for the first female president since this is a way for the. I'm just surprised you're keeping all of this straight that you don't cross the streams regularly and start coming in here talking about Gary Oldman's presidency and wait, 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 no, no, no. Star Wars. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's weird to do a different podcast and different shows, but it's like, Oh my, this is a really busy time with getting a whole bunch of content at once because it's it's, for sure yeah Yeah. it's uh i i didn't get far into the boys because i thought the first episode was just too gross in the first 15 minutes and just turned it off and haven't gone back but there's a ton of good content out there right now and if you told me this in 1986 i don't know if i would have believed you too good to be true yeah it's just it's a golden age Everybody's welcome here. So. Yeah. so with that, we will be back. And 
Uh, oh, the other thing, Talia says God. Oh, I didn't that. Hmm. Yeah, and especially with the subtitles on when she's, you know, playing uh, clear and present danger, she says God. Hmm. The only other time we've had anyone say that live action was in Last Jedi. So that was a surprise. So again, another little, yeah. So, uh, I mean, their, what their view on religion is, I don't know, but uh, that was a big one. So anyway, gentlemen, good night. We will see you all soon. And everyone stay safe, stay healthy, healthy and stay geeky. Be well. <laughs>